Father, you are so good. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his death and resurrection, which brings us life. And for the new reign that you poured out on the church in your Holy Spirit. It began all the way back in Acts chapter 2 in the first century. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later. And you're still pouring out your spirit on your children. And we are so grateful. And I pray, Father, as we study your word tonight, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Anybody shocked? Right? Surprised? No, me neither. Now there were certain there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, so he was from the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah. Now don't don't get him confused with Moana, who is a Disney Island princess. Manoah and Moana, two very different people. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink or eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, Please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. So, the children of Israel did evil. This is the seventh time that this cycle repeats in the book of Judges so far. So far. We still have like 10, 12 chapters to go. Um, And this time they were oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, It is important, John did mention it, um, that the Philistine, or, or the 40, sorry, not the Philistines, the 40, a 40 is a number of judgment in Scripture. Um, so it's very telling that God allowed them to be oppressed for 40 years. Uh, the Philistines were Canaanites. Who were the Israelites supposed to drive out of the land? Canaanite. The Canaanites! Who did Israel fail to drive out of the land? The Canaanites! And the Philistines, well, they were Canaanites. And um, they, they lived in the southern coastal region of Israel. Um, it's actually from the Philistines that the name Palestine comes from. Um, and in this section, we're introduced to Samson's parents. So they're from Zorah of the tribe of Dan. His father's name was Manoah, which is a really cool name. It means quiet or settled spot or home 
I think that's a really cool name. And we kind of see that popping out in Manoah's personality um, when his wife comes home and says, yeah, this guy met me and says, we're going to have a kid and he's going to be a Nazarite. And Manoah was like, cool. Lord, could, could that guy come back and tell us what to do with him? <laughs> I mean, that's how I read it. And maybe that's not how he prayed it. But I'm like, this, this guy, he wasn't the kind of guy, apparently, that got all worked up or bent out of shape. And, and his name uh, was accurate. So we get the angel of the Lord. Now, this is most likely Jesus. And, and that's going to make a little more sense as we get a little farther into chapter 13. Um, he appears to Manoah's wife. We're not given her name. Uh, but she was barren, which we know was a cultural shame, and it was a reason for divorce in their culture, but apparently Manoah had not divorced her. And the angel of the Lord promises her a son and tells her that she must follow the laws of the Nazarite herself, as her son will be a Nazarite from birth and will deliver Israel. Now, by way of reminder, we talked about the Nazarite vow way back in Numbers chapter 6, uh, most of Numbers chapter 6 was devoted to the Nazarite vow. And they had three basic rules, right? At the beginning of the vow, you would shave your head and make sacrifices. During the vow, you could have nothing from the vine. So you couldn't eat grapes, you couldn't eat raisins, and you couldn't drink wine. Uh, they, or, you know, nothing that even, no grape jelly on your uh, uh, matzo bread. I don't know that they, they make grape jelly, whatever. Uh, but nothing from the vine. They could not cut their hair during the period of the vow. Um, they shaved it at the beginning, but they couldn't cut it again until the vow was over, and they could not touch or partake of anything unclean. Now, this would include touching unclean or dead animals that were unclean that you hadn't killed yourself. Um, you know, next week we'll see Samson kill a thousand guys with the jawbone of a donkey. Right? God came upon him, but he wasn't supposed to touch the jawbone of a donkey. He should have done it some other way. Um, we see him eating honey out of a, a dead lion. Right? Can't do that. That's a, a, a violation of the Nazarite vow. But partaking of anything unclean would also include having sex with anybody other than your wife. And, well, Samson had an issue with that. And in case, uh, you know, we're going to get through all of that as we go. Uh, next week, we'll get into Delilah and, and all of that. Samson had an issue. There were a number of sacrifices then made at the end of the vow where you would shave your head again and the hair at the end of the vow was actually part of the sacrifice. However, Samson's vow was never supposed to end. He was supposed to be separated to God his whole life. Now that didn't mean he couldn't get married. It didn't mean he couldn't kill an animal. It just meant he had to do things God's way. He wasn't supposed to drink wine. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair, and he wasn't supposed to go near anything unclean. Now, we, we believe um, that Samuel is the one who wrote the book of Judges down for us, and there are those who suggest that Samuel was a Nazarite from birth. Uh, we'll talk more about him when we get to 1 Samuel. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, took a Nazarite vow. Uh, remember, he shaved his head on his way to Jerusalem, with the goal of then making proper sacrifices and shaving his head again once he got there. That's why several times in the book of Acts, he'll say something to the effect that I need to get to Jerusalem by this feast because he wanted to get there to complete his vow. Um, 
you know, so the, the Nazarite vow was alive and well. I highly encourage you. Feel free to take a Nazarite vow. Uh, Pat will shave your head for you. Uh, if you don't drink anything um, or have anything from the vine, you don't cut your hair again and don't partake of anything unclean. And then at the end, shave your head again and set it on fire or something. I don't know. I don't know how we would do that as, as New Testament believers, but um, the point is it was a separation unto God. Yeah, you go. You do it as a bond. Yeah, set it on fire as a bonfire at Rose. At Rose. But it was meant as a separation to God. Now, we are sanctified. Um, Jesus talked about this in John 17, um, that we too are separated to God. And this is not because of a vow or a haircut, but because we belong to Christ, and so we should live accordingly. John 17, 13 through 19, Jesus said, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, or separate them, by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so that's us. Jesus was praying for us back in John 17. And he was praying that we would not be taken out of the world, but that we would be separate from it. Right? As followers of Christ, we should be different than the world around us. Plain and simple. So the woman goes home. We never get her name. And maybe we should just like call her Jill or something instead of constantly calling her Manoah's wife. Um, so Jill goes home and she talks to Manoah. And she describes the angel who appeared to her as awesome. And, she pr and he prays that the Lord would send the angel again to teach them what they should do with the child. And so I love this. This is a... A great picture of faith on Manoah's part. A, he believed his wife. Right? Woman, were you out in the sun too long? Were you drinking? What's, what, where did you, some guy appeared to you, said you were going to have a kid when we haven't had a kid? No, he didn't do any of that. He just said, okay. And then he goes, Lord, I know you're going to give us this child. So can, can that guy come back and teach us what to do? I mean, what a great guy. Manoah, good job. Verse 9. Now in verse 9, and God listened to the voice of Manoah, because God always listens to our prayers when we're sincere and when we're praying according to his will especially, and God wanted them to know how to raise Samson. So God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came to the woman against, again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So Jill ran in haste and told her husband, that doesn't, that's not me adding to the scriptures, that's just me trying to be funny. Uh, and so Jill ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will the boy's rule of life and his work? Or what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. 
And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know who was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? And what? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Oh, that's good. We're going to come back to it, I promise. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it up on the rock of the Lord, and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell to their faces on the ground, and the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, and Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So we'll get to verse 22. But So the, the angel of the Lord returns, and what follows is absolutely spectacular. First, Manoah says, are you the man? And the angel replies, I am. Now that's pretty darn significant. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses said, who should I tell the children of Israel sent me? God replied, I am that I am. Right? So he, that's, his, that's one of his names that were given in Scripture. Jesus, in John chapter 8, told the Pharisees, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad of it. And the Pharisees said, you're not yet 50 years old. How could you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus replied, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees picked up on what Jesus was saying because they tried to kill him. Because in that moment, as well as many others, Jesus was claiming to be God. So when this angel said, I am, even though he was answering a question, there is significance in it. Because remember, there is nothing in the Bible by mistake. Nothing. So then the angel reiterates his instructions regarding Jill and the child. And Manoah wants to make a young goat. And the angel tells him that he has to offer it to the Lord. So then Manoah says, will you tell me what your name is? And he says, why do you want to know my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. Now, why is that significant? Because in Isaiah 9, 6, there's a prophecy concerning Jesus. And the prophecy is, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his government and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The word for wonderful here in Judges chapter 13 is the same word for wonderful in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So who is the angel of the Lord? Well, it's Jesus, of course. Uh, I think that that's pretty clear from the evidence we have here in the text. Uh, so Manoah makes the sacrifice, uh, the angel ascends in the flame, and, and one of the reasons some people kind of get tripped up about this is because of the word angel, um, right? Jesus is not an angel. Some cults teach that Jesus is an angel. He is not. Uh, some cults teach that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan. He is not. Jesus is God, right? And if any of those cults ever come knocking on your door, just know that they're wrong. But the word angel simply means messenger, right? And we talked about a couple Sundays back that Jesus, as the logos of God, is the very communication and revelation of who God is. 
So when God wants to tell somebody something, it makes sense to me that he would send his son, right? Even in the Old Testament. Because even then, Jesus was still the communication of who God is. Fully realized, of course, uh, when he was born a human, uh, as a human. Um, still fully God, but born as a human. So Manoah and his wife, they fall on their faces realizing who they had just encountered. And Manoah knew who he was. And I just put a little note, should we respond any differently? When we recognize and understand who God is, should we do anything other than bow ourselves before God? And maybe we don't bow physically, but we can bow our hearts, we can bow our minds, we can bow our will before God. And we should. Verse 22. I like verse 22. Right? Manoah, Mr. Steady, Mr. Stable. And Manoah said to Jill, we will surely die because we have seen God. Right? Just in case you didn't know the angel was Jesus. Right? Um, his wife right now, she has the calm head. If the Lord wanted to kill us, uh, he wouldn't have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Uh, basically, she says, um, if he wanted to kill us, we'd be dead already. <laughs> right? So that's clearly not what's going to happen. Uh, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Gotta love these names. So just in case there was any ambiguity on our parts, we get the discussion between Manoah and Jill uh, that this surely was God that appeared to them, which would mean it was Jesus uh, as an Old Testament appearance. Thankfully, Manoah's wife calms him down and lets him know that if God wanted to kill them, he would have. And so she conceives, she gives birth to a son and names him Samson. Uh, I'd never looked up what Samson's name meant before. It means brilliant, like the sunshine. What a pretty name they gave this guy. Right? He got older. He was rich. They say, actually, we're going to discuss that a little bit more later. But, um, but I think everybody he met, hi, I'm brilliant as the sunshine. Right? Manoah, not Manoah, Samson had a pride issue that we're going to see about. One of the most important aspects of chapter 13 that I appreciate so much is that Manoah and his wife didn't miss it when God came to them, right? They, they weren't too busy to listen. They weren't too busy to worship. They weren't so distracted that they completely missed what God wanted to do. Instead, they received him. They listened to him. They worshiped him. They asked for instruction from him, and they were in fear and awe of their encounter. We, we should learn from this. And I think this means two things for us. First, we must be careful to not miss an encounter with God. In Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus, as he drew near, uh, this was drawing near to Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, 
the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close in on you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What a scathing indictment against the city of Jerusalem. And everything he said there happened. It's about 38 years later, give or take. But Rome destroyed Jerusalem. They say that when Titus of Vespasian attacked Jerusalem, that he killed over a million Jews. Why? Because they missed the day of their visitation. I pray for you and I pray for me that when God shows up in our lives, we would never miss it. When God wants to have an encounter with us, we would never miss it. And that when, this is the second thing, when we have an encounter with God, we must respond appropriately. If that means repentance, then we repent. If that means obedience, we obey. If that means worship, then we worship. If it means that God shows up and we're not quite sure what to do, then we ask him for direction or strength. Or we ask him for all of them, or maybe we ask him for none of them because he has something else in mind altogether. Whatever it is. But to always respond appropriately to an encounter with God. I think Isaiah 6 demonstrates this for us in the first nine verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it stood, and above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And they cried to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth was filled with his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So right here, Isaiah has an encounter with God. He sees him sitting on his throne. He sees the angels. He hears them crying out, holy, holy, holy. And what does he do? Woe is me, I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So the first thing he does is In the presence of God, he recognizes his own unholiness. He recognizes the unholiness and unrighteousness of his people. And from that, he says, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been taken away, and your sin purged. So he falls in repentance before the Lord and the Lord cleanses him and forgives him. Oh, so beautiful. We do the same thing when we fall before Jesus and surrender our lives to him and he cleanses us. Then he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I love this passage. We, I did a sermon series on this uh, almost two years ago now. It's quite a while back, but that we have to say yes before we know the question. Who will I send for us? Who will go for us? And Isaiah doesn't go, well, where? When? How much is it going to cost? When am I going to get back? What's the mission when I get there? Right? None of those things came out of Isaiah's mouth. Instead, he said, here I am. Send me. And God said, go. Now, Isaiah spent the rest of his life 
walking out with that man. And as you read the book of Isaiah, one of my favorite books to read in the Old Testament. But just incredible, right? That should be our response. We see the same response from Manoah, not, well, wait a second. Nope, fine, we're going to have a kid. What do we do? Isaiah, you want someone to go? It'll be me. I love that. That should be our response. So we move into chapter 14. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Anybody see a problem with that? She was unclean, according to Jewish law. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. And his father and mother said to him, Is there no women among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson seized a hottie among the Philistines in Timnah. Uh, this is not far from Eshetal and Zorah, where he lived, only about two and a half miles. So he was out for a walk one day, and he sees a good-looking girl among the Philistines, and he runs home and says, Mom, Dad, I saw this girl. I want this girl. Go get her for me. Right? It was a different culture back then. There wasn't dating and whatnot. There was mom and dad would go down and trade several camels, a couple cows, whatever the dowry was meant to be, whatever the dad set uh, as acceptable, the, the father of the bride, and Samson would get to marry her. Now, his parents do protest. Uh, what they didn't realize is that God was working. Now, that doesn't mean that Samson was doing something right. It means that God was using it. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, and we may not always see it, we may not un always understand it, but we can rest assured that God is always at work. Verse 5. I like, I like this, this part. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. So he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. So, Samson kills the lion when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Killing the lion wasn't the problem. Eating honey from the carcass of an unclean lion, that was the problem of an unclean animal. Giving it to his parents without telling them where it came from, that was wrong. He made them unclean, made himself unclean. All of this a violation of his Nazarite vow. Um, but let's just talk for a second about Samson. Because we're going to see Samson do some pretty incredible things before we're done talking about him uh, today and next week as well. Anytime you see a painting or something of Samson, he is depicted as an Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger in his Mr. Olympia days kind of guy. Right? Every time you see a picture of him, you think, 
I'll be back. Right? Get on the chopper. Right? Arnold Schwartz, that's from Predator, by the way, and you shouldn't watch that movie. But in case you've seen it, in that movie, he says, get on the chopper. It's fantastic. Whenever, I, whenever my son's around and we have to get in the car or something like that, we, we yell that at each other. Um, right, but here's a thought. Here's, it's just a thought, and you do with it what you will. Everybody was surprised by Samson's strength. It's altogether possible that, that he was just a scrawny Jewish kid. Right? Remember David? He was short. He was skinny. Samuel's like, he can't be the guy, but he was the guy. So what's to say that Samson was Arnold Buck? Right? There's nothing in, we don't get a physical description of him. Maybe he was. Right? I, I can't say for sure that he wasn't. But I just want you to ponder the possibility that he was just your average guy walking down the street. And so when he ripped a lion apart, that's not normal. Later on, he's going to rip city gates off the city walls and carry them up a hill, right? That's not normal. And we know his strength was supernatural. Here we're told the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. So it is altogether possible, you know, that Samson was just some skinny kid. And God was using him. And uh, he did some pretty incredible things. So he gets down there and he throws a feast. This was common, right? This was part of the wedding tradition uh, that stuck around for quite a while. Uh, verse 10. So his father went down to the woman and Samson gave a feast. I already read verse 10. Verse 11. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him, right? This was, again, a cultural thing to do. Samson didn't have a best man. He didn't have a, a, a groomsmen so to speak. So they provided him 30 companions to be his groomsmen. And Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. Right? Again, we're going to see it's pride. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Right? So this is a pretty good deal on their part. If Samson loses, they each get a change of clothes. If, well, actually, and a pair of underwear. Um, that's essentially what it's saying. Uh, but if Samson loses, he or wins, they each only have to give him one. So Samson stands to lose a lot more than they do. So he goes on, pose your riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Really nice wedding party here. Some, some friendly companions. Hey, tell him to tell us what the riddle is or we're going to kill you and all your father's household. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you didn't explain it to me. And he said to her, Look, I haven't explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, 
before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Now that's going to cause a whole lot of problems next week when we get into chapter 15. So there's this feast going on, right? And we've talked about the Jewish wedding feast. Right? Once a woman was betrothed, uh, the husband would go back to his father's house and usually build a room or a section onto the house that was meant for him and his wife. That's why when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, I may receive you to myself, it's a picture of the Jewish wedding feast because we as the church, of course, are the bride of Christ. Now at some point in time, and the son didn't really know when this was going to happen, the father would look at his son, he would look at the room or the, the addition to the house, and he would say, son, go get your bride. And he would show up. When Jesus told the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, right, the bridegroom comes in an hour you don't know. So be ready. At some point in time, now you've got to think, I can only imagine what this house Jesus is building is looking like. I mean, 2,000 years from our perspective. You can build a really nice house in 2,000 years, Right? He built the world and the universe in six days. He's had 2,000 years to get our mansions ready. Oh, it's going to be sweet. Right? But one, at some point in time, the father is going to look at Jesus and say, Son, go get your bride. The trumpet will sound. The moment in the twinkling of an eye, it will all be changed. Oh, it's good stuff. Now, this continues into what we know as the seven-year tribulation, half of which is called the Great Tribulation. Why is that important? Because during those seven years, we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Savior, while God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. This continues the Jewish wedding feast, because when the son went to get the bride, there was a week-long wedding feast, the marriage supper. They called it. We will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it will last seven years. So all of it, all of what we look at is eschatology. The study of the end times is a picture of the Jewish wedding feast. Because remember, a lot of Jewish prophecy was seen in, or, or demonstrated or communicated in types and pictures and illustrations. So, all of that, I, sorry, got off on a little tangent there, but the wedding feast. So when the companions couldn't solve it, they told his wife, we're going to burn you and your father's household, right? She had, we know, or we're going to find out in the next chapter that she has at least a younger sister. She didn't want that to happen, so she begs and pleads and cries. She accuses Samson of hating her to get him to reveal the secret. This is not, this is the first time. But it's not the last time that we will see Samson being manipulated by and betrayed by a woman. Now, I'm not saying this to say that all women are manipulative and <laughs> will betray people, right? I'm not saying that. Don't wait for me in the parking lot with sticks. Um, 
But Samson fell for this because of his pride, because of his lust, right? This was a very common thing for Samson. Uh, it's going to happen twice more next week. You'll see that. Matthew 5, 27 through 30 says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than your whole body cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it far from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body should be cast into hell. This is something Samson should have known. right? He didn't have the scripture in Matthew yet, but Right? When we don't deal with sin, sin will deal with us. Right? There's always going to be consequences for it. His lust, his pride, if he didn't deal harshly with it. Now, we don't actually pluck out our eyes. We don't actually cut off our hand. Because if I plucked out my right eye, I could still look lustfully with my left. If I cut off my right hand, believe me, I could still find ways to sin with my left. The point is, is you get rid of it. You don't let it hang around. You cut it off, you deal with it, and you deal with it harshly if you need to because it will always have consequences. So when they solve his riddle, Samson recognizes that they had plowed with his heifer. I love that statement. Now, gentlemen, uh, I don't want to do your funerals anytime soon, so don't ever say that about your wife. Uh, but this, of course... Uh, was his lovely term of endearment for his wife. Right? It's biblical to call your wife a heifer. <laughs> Such a bad idea. Don't ever do it. Um, and so under the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes down to Ashkelon and kills 30 men to provide the wager of the bet. And because he was so angry, right, over and over and over again, pride, lust, and anger are Samson's undoing, he goes back to his father's house and his wife was given to his best man at the wedding, one of those 30 companions. Proverbs 15, 18 reminds us that a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 16, 32 says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So in these two chapters, we see an incredible encounter with God. And then we see God working behind the scenes as well as Samson's lust and anger, which will be problems for him his entire life, right? But God still worked through it. God didn't want Samson to be lustful. God didn't want Samson to be angry. But God used it, right? So keep that in mind. Could Samson have avoided the trouble, especially the trouble that we're going to see next week and the trouble that came on him this week? Of course he could have. He had no business being in Timnah and flirting with a woman in the enemy's camp. No business being there, right? We have no business going into any place that's the enemy's and flirting with whatever's there. We just have no business. If Samson hadn't done that, well, probably wouldn't have been so bad. Imagine all the trouble we could avoid if we just didn't go to the places that we shouldn't have gone to to begin with, right? This can be physically. This can be in our thought life. This could be virtually on the internet or in the movies we watch or, or whatever it might be. Just think of all the trouble we might avoid if we didn't go to the places 
that we shouldn't have gone to to begin with. I imagine it's quite a bit. At least for me. Maybe not for all of you. You're all probably a lot better than me. But I know in my life, I would be a lot better off. At least, there's plenty of times in the past, and I'm sure there'd be some times in the future, that I'll be a lot better off if I just didn't go there. So when we walk with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can help keep us from such trouble. Uh, Samson didn't do that. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't really walking with God. He wasn't obeying his commandments. He was violating his vow over and over and over again. Um, and we're going to see that next week as we look at the rest of Samson's journey. Until then, let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your great love for us. God, help us to not go to the places that we shouldn't go. Give us your grace. Give us your wisdom. Give us your strength to walk with you, to be filled with your spirit. And Father, keep us out of trouble. We love you, Lord. Bless the rest of our week. The rest of our week is EDS. May you be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name.